So this morning we're going to pick up and finish chapter 15 here in 1 Corinthians in a study that I've entitled, I'll Fly Away. Now some of us have been around long enough to know that song, and it begins one bright morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away, and, and I can't wait. But there are a number of different ways that that process can happen. And this morning we get to one of the most wonderful passages in all of the New Testament uh, with regard to the rapture of the church. And I want to spend some time on that particular topic uh, because it is important. It is not one to divide the church over. Uh, there are a lot of well-meaning people that do not believe in the rapture of the church for whom I feel very sorry. Uh, and I'll explain why in just a few moments. But uh, it is it is for us this incredible blessing to be able to live expectant lives that at any moment this earthly life could be over and we could be in the presence of the Lord. It has been an encouragement for the church from the beginning, and it remains in a messed up world one of the chief sources of encouragement for us here on this earth. And I want to encourage you with this encouragement this morning. And so uh, we're going to finish up the chapter and look at some depth at the rapture of the church. And so this morning, let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you that as we uh, studied last Sunday, uh, we're going to have some new bodies for that new life. But that could happen in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, God, we could simply step from this earthly life into your glory and, God, forevermore to be with you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we study your word, you'd encourage your church, bless us, instruct us, we pray. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Pick up in verse 50 here with me in 1 Corinthians 15. And now I say this, brethren. So he's now going to wrap all of this up together in a central thought at the end of chapter 15. And it is no surprise to me and should be no surprise to you that this will be an encouragement because he's been talking about the resurrection. He's been talking about those new bodies you're going to get. He's been uh, reminding us that when Jesus defeated death, we who are in him will also defeat death one day. And so now he gives us perhaps one of the most hopeful passages uh, found in the New Testament. So now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's just simply making a statement about which he's just expounded for the last 50 verses. He said, you need that new body. The body that you have right now isn't suitable for heaven. Uh, it's not perfect. It wasn't meant to last indefinitely. It's got an expiration date on it. And so your mortal, corruptible body cannot make it into the glories of God. And so uh, you need a new one. And so he says, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And so he makes it very clear what he's talking about here. Uh, this is so important for us as the church because it's the difference between us and people in the world in a general sense about how we look at what happens when we die. Because ultimately, I know where I'm going when I die. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. I love life. I'm enjoying the things that God's doing right here on this earth. Uh, I like as much as the next person the things that we're able to do with these mortal bodies. But I know this. I'm really looking forward to the next life. And when I step out of this life into the next one, I don't plan on being disappointed. 
I, I don't plan on waking. Oh man, you know heaven's a bummer. That's why when I, you know, I, I watch cartoons and stuff, and we all have this kind of mental image of what heaven will be like. I can tell you what it won't be like. It won't be like any of those cartoon caricatures of kind of fat, chubby little babies with little stubby wings flying around and everybody sitting on clouds. It will not be like that. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be the fullness of the joy of the Lord. And if we can find joy in the things that are on this earth, how much greater do you think heaven's going to be? It's going to be beyond our understanding. And so we need a new body to fit that new environment so that we can enjoy the fullness of the things that God's going to give to us when we step out of time, which we're in now, and into eternity, which will be our state for the rest of every bit of everything that will ever exist. And so he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, why does he say that? Because it isn't easily just discernible from one verse. It's a mystery. The thing that's going to be spoken of next kind of twists our heads a little bit. And we need to do a little bit of being a Berean. We need to study God's Word in order to understand what Paul's getting at here. He says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Notice he begins with we. Who's he talking about? We is the church. We is us. We is those who are called the beloved. We are those who know the Lord. And so he begins with we shall not all sleep. And that word sleep there is translated as a euphemism for death. In other words, we're not all going to die. Not everyone who's ever named the name of Jesus is going to live out a life on this earth and then die and or be killed. There's going to be a very special group of people who will not experience death. That special group has existed since day one, and it exists to this day. And it is defined by a, a group of people who now will inherit the things of God instantaneously from this earth. And so he says, we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In other words, there are going to be people who won't die, but will step from time into eternity instantaneously into the glory of the Lord. Not going to die. Not going to go through that experience. We shall all be changed. Everyone, whether you die or whether you're instantaneously changed. For in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and he uses a phrase here that we can understand in its practical application. The twinkling of an eye is really fast. Amen? I, I've seen all kinds of estimates of how long it is. I've seen everything to about a quarter of a second to two and a half nanoseconds. Uh, whatever it is, it's real short. And it's going to be one of those things that you're not going to go 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Okay, rapture. It's going to happen like that for all intents and purposes, you and I will see this event as instantaneous. If we are alive and we're of this group, which I very much believe that we might well be of the very last group of people that will be here on this earth, I, I'm looking at the world going, Lord, how long you will tarry, I don't know, but you're closer than you've ever been. And so he says, a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
And he uses that word there, trumpet, and it's interesting that it's been used before, and so focus in on that. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so he uses a very specific phrasing here. He says that the dead will be raised. In other words, there's a group of people who are dead, and they're going to become immortal with immortal bodies, and there's a group that's alive that's going to become immortal with immortal bodies. So what does that tell you? There's two groups of people, and because the dead don't exist here on this earth, they're somewhere else right now. Amen? Okay, so Paul begins to lay this out for us, and I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture, and the reason that I want to do that is I think the church has in some degree been guilty of not defending a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, if, if this is all about, hey, we all make it through the tribulation, it's a bummer. If this is all about, it's just the second coming for the church, major bummer. If this means that we go through half of the tribulation, like those who believe in the doctrine of a mid-tribulational rapture, real bummer. If it's a post-tribulation rapture, in other words, we go through all the tribulation, real bummer. There is no tribulation. If the Lord just simply comes back and fights the battle of Armageddon, I've got some problems with my Bible. And so I want to give you a very clear view this morning of the rapture of the church. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And it says there, and you can just simply mark it, after this, after what? After he's described the church, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And so Christ, speaking to the Apostle John in the island of Patmos, says to him, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, notice the trumpet in both places, the voice speaks, what does the voice say? Come up here, where is here? The Lord is speaking from heaven, John is on earth, and so he says, come from earth to heaven, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so he begins by telling John there in Revelation chapter 4, that there is an event that will happen, and he will then go on to describe it, uh, which will take place at some point in time in the history of the world, and all of a sudden, uh, we're going to have nothing but saints and ain'ts. You're going to have saints in heaven, and you're going to have ain'ts on the earth. And at that point in time, God's going to deal with the earth for how it's dealt with the nation Israel. We know it is the tribulation. And so God is going to separate out, if you will, at some point in time, everyone who's saved from everyone who's not. And he's still going to give an opportunity for those who are here to be saved. We know those people as the tribulation saints. Those who will go through the tribulation, they'll experience all of that. They'll remember what their Bible says. They're going to confess, Lord, and they will be martyred for their faith and join us in heaven immediately. And so people don't like to think on this. And the reason they don't like to think on it is for a very specific reason that people often point out. You don't find the word rapture in your Bible, which in your English Bible is true. But I want to draw your attention to proper textual criticism. In other words, when we look at the original context and the text that we have from which we have derived our Bible, and you can go back to the very best texts 
that are recorded in the Greek language and or the Aramaic, which were translated then into Latin, principally by St. Jerome in about 404 A.D. And so it goes from Greek to Latin. Right after that, it either went to German and or English. If you look at those texts, you find an interesting word translated in Latin from the original Greek language, and it is the word, the, the Latin word, rapture or rapturo, which means to be caught up or snatched away by force. In other words, you don't want to go, you're not ready to go, you're plucked up. That is the word that's used for come up, caught up, snatched up that you find in your Bible. And so the word in English is not there because we wouldn't understand it. If I said to the average American, hey, man, I'm going to get raptured, and they don't know the Lord, they would have no idea what raptured means beyond what we use rapture to mean, which is an experience in the heavenlies. Amen? When I say I am enraptured with something, then I understand it that I am in the presence of greatness or glory. So it does have a basic meaning, but it doesn't carry the full meaning, which means to be snatched away into the very presence of God. That's what your Bible actually says. But we have a tough time translating that in English, and so we use called up, snatched up, we use a number of different words. And so if you do use the original text and you go from there to Latin to English, you actually do get the word caught up, called up, snatched up, or you can get the Greek word, which is translated harpazo, which means to be taken away by force. And so what it's saying is, Not everybody's going to sleep. Not everybody's going to die. Some group of the we, remember what's said, is going to be snatched away by force. There will be Christians who will never taste death. There's no other place in your Bible other than these handful of passages that we're going to look at this morning. The second one, which you can turn there now, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 13 that give us this picture. And then I'm going to go on to tell you why I think you cannot do anything but look at the rapture of the church and the second coming of the Lord as two separate events because they are completely different if you exegete or take out of the text what the text actually says. If you force into it, you exogete the text. In other words, you push into the text, you make it say what you think, then you can come up to a different conclusion. But if you take the plain meaning of the text, you're going to find out that there are huge reasons to believe that the church is not going to be here. Chiefly among those which we'll not look at this morning, you could just simply look at your Bible, is from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19. There's no mention of the church, and that is the period in the book of Revelation that is the tribulation. There's not a single mention of the church in there. And there's a reason for that, because the church will be in heaven. And so, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and it begins, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died so that you'll not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. And I'm reading from the New Living because I think it's powerful. So I don't want you to sorrow because people have died. Amen? We all know people who have died. I've had many people in my life that I've had to bury. It's kind of a bummer. I don't like it. But you know what? For those who know the Lord, I know exactly where they are. I don't sorrow the way people who don't have the hope in the Lord sorrow. 
People without the Lord sorrow because it's over. It's done. There is no reunion. Life is as we know it ended. For me, in the Lord, my brothers and sisters that are in heaven, I'm kind of a little jealous, actually. I'm kind of it's like, Lord, you know, they're there and I'm here. Come get us. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again, we believe also that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. How can people come back with Jesus if they're not already in heaven is a good question to answer for yourselves. For I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord comes or returns will not will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. In other words, there's already people who are dead who are with the Lord. To be absent from the body, first, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So since the Lord died, was buried, and raised, and ascended to heaven, every single person that has taken their last breath since then, boom, straight into the presence of the Lord. So there's a group there already. You've got people that are already in heaven. They're they're enjoying the glories of heaven. But, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Notice the trumpet calls. And then first, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. So if it happened at that very moment you would have two groups of people. Those who were already dead would rise, and those who were alive would also rise with them. It's actually very easy to understand when you simply take the text for what it says. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth shall be caught up in the clouds, notice this, to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. Very important that you distinguish where that meeting takes place. Because the second coming does not happen in heaven, it happens on earth. And so these two events very, very simply cannot be one and the same. There is a group of people who will be alive at the return of the Lord, who will be snatched away to meet the Lord, and will meet him in the the air. And so is this a reference uh, here in 1 Corinthians 15 to the rapture of the church? I believe it is. Uh, because of the passages that we've already looked at, now I want to give you probably eight or nine things. We'll see how much time we have before we get to the end of some of these. But I want to give you a clear understanding of why I believe that we not only need to believe in the rapture of the church, but it is a tremendous source of hope for the church. Because here's what it is. For me, I believe every second that I'm alive on this earth could be my last second that I'm on earth. It stimulates me to good works. It causes me to take advantage of every moment I have. It causes me to recognize that as bad as it's going to get, the the glories of heaven could be the very next breath I take. It's an encouragement to me. That's why Paul said, encourage one another with these words. Love it. Let me give you number one here, some descriptions from Scripture of these two events that I believe are very, very easy. One I just gave you. Notice that the rapture of the church, the Lord snatches believers to meet him in the air. It's the very same thing that John chapter 14 says says here in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Now contrast that with what we know to be a passage that's about the return of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14 On that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before him in Jerusalem. The place is very different. 
When Jesus comes back, according to Zechariah, he's going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and then he's going to go fight the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Luke chapter 1 says this, The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and as to his kingdom there shall be no end. When the Lord comes again, there'll be no end of his kingdom right here on earth, not in heaven. Revelation chapter 19 says this in verses 11 to 15, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon him, and the armies in heaven which followed him, and out of his mouth went a sharp sword, that he should smite the nations and rule over them with a rule of iron. And so it, your Bible says that when the Lord comes back, he comes back from heaven, and he comes with the saints. That's real hard to do if we're all here. We have to go there first in order to come back. Second thing, at the rapture of the church, there is a resurrection of all believers who's died up to that time. We're going to be raised, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But in contrast to that, in the second coming, there's no resurrection until after the Antichrist has done his bidding. And so the church will have come back with the Lord, and, and we will not have the resurrection until after that. You need to know the difference between the two resurrections. There's a second one. happens in Revelation chapter 19. And that is those who are resurrected to death and cast into the lake of fire. And so you have to know which resurrection is being spoken of. And so it says there in Revelations, uh, Revelation chapter 19, there's no resurrection until the Antichrist is defeated and the false prophet and his minions are tossed into the lake of fire, Revelation 19.20. And then Satan will be bound and tossed into the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. And that can't happen until the believers are all saved. They're all home. And so these things, if they happen simultaneously uh, with that which we call the second coming of the Lord, the order is completely wrong. That means we'd have believers here who are not saved uh, that have no chance of ever being saved. And so God would then be unfair. A third thing, that at the rapture of the church, the bodies of living believers, like those who are resurrected, will become immortal. Interestingly enough, we've already looked at those passages in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Thessalonians. By contrast, the second coming of the Lord, hear this. All the saints return with Christ from heaven and therefore already have their changed bodies. So there's no need for a resurrection if you're coming back from heaven. Heaven, Amen. The only way that can happen is if you're already there. Zechariah chapter 14 says, And my Lord God shall come and all the saints with him. Goes on to say, and I saw in heaven that passage that we looked at in Revelation 19, that we would be coming back with him. Fourth thing, at the rapture of the church, it occurs during a time of relative peace and prosperity, uh, not in a time like the world has never seen. And if you look at how the tribulation of days is described in the book of Revelation, and you look at how the Lord describes what will happen when the Lord raptures his church, Luke chapter 17, speaking in the Olivet Discourse, and as it was, it says there in verse 26 to 30, in the days of Noah, uh, the last thing they were expecting was judgment. Amen? They were all, oh, you know why we know that? He said, because they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. And as it was in the days of Lot, they bought, they sold, they planted. And thus, even on the day of the Lord, it was so until the Son of Man was revealed. And so, at the rapture of the church, we're all going to kind of be doing whatever we normally do. And then, boom, we're gone. Second coming is described very differently. 
It occurs in the midst of the worst wars that the world has ever seen. Not in a time when everybody's kind of doing their own thing, eating, drinking, being married, and, and doing all the stuff that humans normally do. Notice what it says in Matthew 24. Then there should be a great tri- tribulation in verse 21 and 22. Such has not ever been seen since the beginning of the world. So this is a time of war like the world has never known. And except those days should be shortened, no flesh would survive. And so from your Bible's perspective, there's an event that happens that takes all of the believers alive at the time off of this earth and takes them immediately into the presence of the Lord. If you look at what Revelation says about us coming back in Revelation chapter 6, it says, Behold, a pale horse, and the name on him was Death. And when he came, he's describing the the tribulation of days. He would come and he would kill with the sword, and there would be hunger and famine and earthquake and all of those things. That doesn't sound like a time when people are going to be thinking about getting married and eating and drinking. Amen? Sounds like a time when the world has come apart at the seams. There will become a flood of men, and there will be dead men. If you read the book of Revelation from 6 to 19, you're going to go, there is no way in the world that God's going to put Christians through that. At the rapture of the church, when those conditions in the world seem to indicate that all is well, remember Jesus said that no man will know the day or the hour, and he will come when everyone thinks he won't. Okay, If we're in tribulation, we're going to know the Lord's coming. If the world's come apart at the seams and World War III is unveiled and two-thirds of the world's population has been completely wiped out by war, famine, disease, and pestilence, we're going to know the end is coming. It has to happen in a time of peace. And by the way, that's what your Bible says about the first three and a half years of the tribulation period is it actually begins as a time of peace. And so we will be snatched away before that even happens. The rapture of the church uh, occurs at a time when the church is sleeping. (laughs) Matthew chapter 25. While the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and they slept. The church was asleep. Has there ever been a time in human history like today when the church has been asleep? The church is asleep at the wheel totally. Church is wandering around going, I don't know, I don't even think the Lord's coming back. I think it's all just symbolic. Your Bible says the Lord's coming again. The rapture of seventh, a seventh thing. The rapture just takes us instantaneously out of here. That's why Titus chapter 2 calls it the blessed hope. It wouldn't be a blessed hope if it's never going to happen. Amen? It wouldn't be a blessed hope if you got to go through the tribulation. Amen? You'd be sitting here, man, I can't believe it. You know, my whole family's been wiped out by famine. Ah, oh, but there's blessed hope. It's not going to be a blessed hope if you're watching the whole world die. You're going to be wondering why the Lord is doing that in the first place. You see, it's a glorious appearing of our great God and King that we look for. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day when the Lord takes us out of here. Second coming, not so much. Because it's going to, at that time, a loaf of bread is going to be worth more than gold. People are going to desire to die, and they won't even be able to die. That's the, that's the conditions at the second coming. Revelation chapter 13 tells you that. The rapture of the church, unquestionably the early church was taught to be uh, eager. And the Lord himself said, you know, make sure that your lamps are, are filled with oil. Make sure that you're ready, because you don't know when he's coming. Amen? Amen. 
Could come at any moment. You might just be standing there. There could be two in the field. Boom, one's gone. You see all of these things when you when you begin to put put them together. It's just it's got to be a separate event. There's got to be something that God's going to snatch us out of here. If you look at the the purifying effect it has on the church, those who rest and trust in the Lord. I mean, I can't think of anything that that should cause us to be. Uh, less wasteful of our time, amen? Because if I truly believe the Lord can come back today, then I'm going to make pretty good use of today, amen? Because I'm not going to have tomorrow. That's actually what the rapture does. It causes me to sit around and go, man, I might not be here tomorrow. I don't want to delay sharing my faith with that person who doesn't know the Lord. Because I might not be here tomorrow to do it. No time to indulge in sin. No, no time to worry about the, the, the effects of having to repent of those things because you might not have the time. Take care of it now. It purifies the church. However, with the, if you're just simply looking forward to the second coming of the Lord, then all hell can break loose in your life and it actually won't matter because you're actually going to be saved in all the junk, all the garbage. You're going to go through all of this pain and suffering and anguish and everything else. You see, when I begin to look at all of these things, it's just like, Lord, come get us right now. We're supposed to expect him at any moment, at any time. Your Bible actually says, and the Spirit and the Bride says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, even so, Lord, come. That's how your Bible ends. It's with this expectant, man, the Lord could be back this afternoon. Before we finish church, the trumpet could sound, the dead in Christ, boom, gone, they're already there, and we who are alive and remain instantly into the glories of heaven. That could be your end. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's a good way to end a church service, by the way. Actually, it'd be a good way to start one. Don't have, and we'll just go get a Bible study with Jesus, Amen. You, you, you see the nature, the timing of all of it. It's it just, it has to be something separate. I want to give you two things that have to happen before the Lord can come back. And I want to give you a little clue. Both of them happen with the church in heaven. You probably know what they are. The judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. They both occur in your Bible prior to the second coming. How can the church be fully judged at the judgment seat of Christ if the church isn't there? Secondarily, and again, you can go to Romans chapter 14, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can look at Revelation chapter 19. When these events happen, the church is already in heaven. And so if we're not in heaven, the Lord can't come back. And so we have to be in heaven for that to happen. And it's the whole church. It's not part of the church. The marriage supper of the Lamb, as it occurs, we're going to be adorned as his, as his bride there at that table and sitting with him, feasting in heaven, and it will be from there that we actually come back with him to the earth. That's what your Bible declares. So I believe what Paul is saying is, make sure that you have a view of, of the rapture of the church because it could happen at any moment. It's going to make you very useful for kingdom things. And finally, one last thing before we finish this. There's a verse that probably some of you know. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. It says there, For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but unto salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we wake or whether we sleep, we'll be together with him. What that tells me is he actually saved us from the wrath that's going to come. So it makes no sense for him to save us from the wrath and then put us through the wrath. Amen? This is not the wrath of God. As bad as things are in the world, it gets a lot worse. Don't believe it? Read your Bible. You've got 14 chapters of the book of Revelation that describe a time on earth that's like nothing the world has ever seen. And fortunately, it'll only happen once. God would not save us from his wrath and then put us through his wrath, and that is exactly what the Bible describes the tribulation as. It is the wrath of God poured out on mankind for how they have treated the land and Israel. That's why it happens. So I am looking for the snatching away, the harpazo, the rapture, the calling up, the calling away, the shout, the trumpet. Jesus peeks his head through the clouds and says, it's time to come home. That's why he goes on in verse 53, for our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. That's why, because flesh and blood can't inherit it, and we're going home to be with Jesus, so we need the new ones. He goes on in verse 54, And when this happens, our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. Then at the last of the scriptures will come true. And I love this. What an ending to this particular chapter. Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, right now, everybody's still dying. Amen? People still die. People die every day. Something on the order of 1.75 million people perish on the earth every single day by natural causes, war, famine, all those kind of things. Almost 2 million people daily die on this earth from all kinds of different stuff. Death is with us everywhere and in every culture. doesn't matter what culture, people die. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love this. This is so in your face to Satan, because you know what Satan said when he got Adam and Eve to sin? See, now they're going to die. Oh, yeah? Where's your victory now is what God's saying. Because my kids aren't going to ever die again. Your lousy, rotten, sneaky, deceptive plan worked for some, but not anymore. I'm taking my kids home, and I'm abolishing death. I'm going to take care of that problem. Most of us will, if you will, experience death. But where is the sting of death? Well, if you don't die, there is no sting, amen? If you're if if when you take your last breath it's to life, you see that's what it is for us as the child of God. I'm stepping into life. I'm not stepping into death. My earthly tent is going to get a new metamorphosis. That's why it says transformed there. By the way, the Greek word is actually the Greek word metamorphosis. It means for us to be changed. It's like we look at a butterfly. When you see a butterfly, it was once a chrysalis. Amen. You look at those ugly things hanging in your, you know, outside of your house underneath the eaves, and it's a chrysalis of a butterfly or maybe, a, you know, an emperor moth or something. It's hard to believe that that's ever going to turn into a butterfly, and yet it does. Same thing for you and I. 
One day these earthly tents, these crusty old chrysalis, this thing that we are is going to split open and a new you is coming out of it. Amen? That's why we need to rejoice in it. For the sting of death, verse 56 says, is sin. And the power of sin, I love this, is the law. Do you realize that the law is actually just the power of sin? You look at it, and the reason that we need the law is we need to know what was, know what was wrong. And so no more law. Anybody else looking forward to that? No more law. I can actually be the rebel I was born to be. But I'll be a righteous rebel. I won't do anything wrong. I won't need the law anymore. I'm looking forward to that. Because it'll all, you know, when we say it's all good, it's going to be all good at that point in time. Amen? Gives us the victory. But thanks be to God, for He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he's really saying is he's, he's answering that Romans road, isn't he? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. You know, one day you're just going to step out of time and into eternity. And there's going to be a new you to do it. Not going to be an old, you know, rehashed you. It's not, you know, you're not going to get up there and, you know, like some of us have had joint replacement surgeries and those kinds of things. You're kind of like, well, I can make it. It's not going to be that at all. It's going to be a new you for a new life, a new heaven, and a new earth. And that's why it ends with verse 58. And this is one of my favorite verses. I very often encourage people with this verse. Now, notice it's in light of this whole chapter. It's in light of you're getting a new body suited for a new heaven and a new earth, and then one day a new Jerusalem. You're going to have this uh, the capacity to live eternally with the Lord without sin, without death, without problems. You're going to have all these wonderful things that are going to go on in your life. And, and, and you're going to, you're going to get to experience it in fullness. That's why it says, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable. Always excelling or abounding in the work of the Lord. You see, we should do that because this world is not our home. This isn't the end. And if you're suffering today, you've got some physical problem or a monetary problem or a mental problem, the answer to life's problems is not here on this earth. It's in heaven. Be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord because that day's coming when the Lord's going to snatch His church out. Take us home to heaven. You're going to get a new you for that new environment. And then you're going to come back and enjoy a thousand years with the Lord here on this earth. So you can absolutely be assured whatever you've missed in the here and now, you're going to get to take care of in the hereafter. And then eternity. Then he creates a new heaven just just for kicks. I love this. Just for kicks, I think. Just for the sheer joy of it and glory of it, the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. You ever thought of that? And then a new Jerusalem. Because the one that we got now is a mess. It's not going to be the burial place of Christ anymore. It's going to be the return place of Christ. Amen? You won't go visit a tomb. You'll go visit a temple. Because you know that in the Lord, your labor 
everything you're going through on this earth is not for nothing. It's not in vain. It has a purpose. It has a plan. It has an end, and it has a reward. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your blessings. Lord, we thank you for the hope of heaven and the imminent return of you, Jesus. And we can't wait until that trumpet sounds and we who are remaining right now to this day will be caught up to meet you in the air to head off to the marriage supper of the Lamb to the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, only to return, uh, to, to be in that time when you deal with sin and you deal with death. God, to experience those blessings is just unfathomable to us. We pray that you'd strengthen us, Lord, that you'd bless us, and that you'd anoint us, Lord, as we wait. May we be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in that work which is well-pleasing to you, knowing, God, that that labor is not in vain. We claim it, Lord. We lay hold of that truth. We thank you for that marvelous and wonderful promise that one day this earthly life will be over and we will fly away to be with you forever. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.